0: invite you to open with me to John chapter 11. If you've got your own Bibles, you're more familiar with it and you get a sense of where it is on the page and where the verses are. If not, of course it's printed in your bulletin or you may use those Pew Bibles, page 897. We continue uh, in this gospel to move from glory to glory, uh, from mountaintop to mountaintop and enjoy the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have come now to John chapter 11, the story of the raising of Lazarus. And this is the seventh sign that John has used in the gospel of John up to this point. It's the seventh and last sign that John is using to illustrate the person of Jesus. They have been Thus far, as we've worked our way through, chapter 2, the changing of the water into wine. Chapter 4, the healing of the official's son. Then in chapter 5, we had the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. Uh, And then as we continue on, we've got the man who was born blind in chapter 9. And I missed uh, the healing of the invalid in chapter Five, six, up to this point, and this is the seventh the raising of a man who has been dead for four days. It is the climactic sign that John has chosen. Of course, the reality, as he notes later in the book, is that there are a countless amount of signs that he could have used, that he could have referenced to illustrate the person of Jesus, but he has chosen these seven that we might understand who he is. And so keep that in mind. This is not just the recording of a miracle for the sake of telling us about another miracle that Jesus did. It is a sign. It is intended to illustrate for us the person of Jesus Christ. What we're going to do is we're going to take four Sundays, four sermons, and park here in John chapter 11 so that we don't have to rush through any of this glory. We can just take our time and work our way through this gorgeous, incredible section of scripture. So here then, this portion of the transcendent, the matchless word of God. I'm going to read from verse 11 to 21, and then I've got two other verses from the chapter that I'm going to add to it at the end as well, the word of God. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. By the way, that story about Mary will get told in chapter 12. It hasn't been told yet in John. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And let me jump down to verse 32. That was Martha who had gone out. As Jesus comes closer, we read verse 32 of Mary, now when Mary came to to where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now let me go to one place further, verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? What if? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this holy and infallible word. Spirit of God, thank you for authoring it. Now, minister it to us. Show us Jesus. Spirit of God, work through this word in our hearts and minds and help us to see the Savior, to see as he sees We pray in his name. Amen. All right, who of us, who of us has not asked the question, what if? What if circumstances would have been different? What if we had made a different decision? What if when it came time to decide which school to go to, we went to this school and not that school? What if we chose another major instead of the major that we had? What, what if when job opportunities were presented to us, we chose that one instead of this one? What if when we decided we should marry someone, we had chosen someone else instead of the one we have chosen? What if situations were different What if that particular thing, that accident, that thing that happened to me, what if it hadn't have taken place? What if my health had been different? What if my parents would have been different? What if they would have stayed together? What if, you can make it as specific as you'd like, what if I'd have seen the car instead of missing the car and not slammed into it? What if I didn't say something that I came to regret so much the minute it was out of my mouth. What if I had acted differently? How would things have turned out differently? How would my life have changed if I'd have done it differently? If the circumstances would have been different? If only is another way to say it. If only this would have happened or that would have happened or that person would have been there or that person wouldn't have been there in that particular circumstance. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. If that's in the past, the woulda, coulda, shoulda we're full of regrets and questions and unknown outcomes. If you project that forward, the what ifs, well, then there are contingencies and possibilities that seem beyond our ability to figure them out what ifs and whys in the beginning of chapter 9 the story of the blind man you'll remember that the disciples had a question for Jesus and the question was why is this man blind what's the cause of his original blindness some sin that he did or was it something that his parents had done why Why blindness, and now, why death? If only. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And could not he, who opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept this man from dying? But to go back to Martha and Mary, Why did my brother have to die? What if you'd have been here? Today, as we look at this passage, I want to keep it for us as simple as we possibly can. Two basic questions that I hope in the end are are in its simplest sense going to drive us, invite us to a deeper faith and a deeper trust in our God first question we want to ask is, how do the people in this story see the situation as it presents itself in front of them, and how do they respond based upon what they see? And the second question is, how does Jesus see the situation that is before them, and how does he respond to the loss of a friend? And so we begin then, if you want to put it this way, with this human vantage point. Lazarus, friend of Jesus, beloved by Jesus, is ill. And clearly, this is a serious illness. It is an illness that Mary and Martha perceive. If untreated, if unchecked, if there's no divine intervention, will certainly lead to the death of their brother. Lazarus has these Two sisters who are well known to us for the passage in Luke about uh, Martha and Mary and their respective ways of approaching Jesus and seeking to prepare for Jesus coming to their house. But these two sisters, seeing how precarious the situation is, make the conclusion that they should send word to Jesus. And while, as we look at this passage, we don't have recorded for us some particular petition or request that comes from them. The the messengers just come with the declaration that Lazarus is, in fact, ill. The implication is clear, right? The the idea is clear. These, These sisters understand that Jesus loves us. Jesus loves our brother. Our brother is dying. Let's let Jesus know because we know, we hope, he can help. And hopefully, when the messengers get to him, even though it's a long way away, it could be as much as 100 miles away, when the messengers get to him, Jesus will come back in time and Jesus will heal our brother. That's a good impulse. It's a good and faithful course by Martha and Mary it's, it's, if you will, a good way to approach life when you are confronted by problems, whatever those problems may be, take your problems to Jesus. If that's what they do. There, there are some, and we're, we're about to look at these here, there are some limitations in the way that they understand Jesus and the way that they understand the situation, but that basic impulse, when things are going badly, get yourself to Jesus, is a good, and solid and faithful impulse on their part. But we have to, for the sake of the story and the way the story is written and presented to us, recognize the deficiencies that are here as well in their human perspective on this situation. First of all, they assume that Jesus is bound by the idea of space. In other words, they assume that in order to affect the healing of Lazarus, Jesus has to come there to be with them. Now, back in chapter 4, the miracle, the sign of the, feeling, the healing of the official son was in fact testimony to the fact that Jesus doesn't have to be proximate to a person for a healing to take place. But they assume That's necessary for the healing to take place. But we know that, in fact, it is not. Jesus is not bound by space. Secondly, Mary and Martha see Jesus as constrained by time. His timing was off in this situation. Now, whether they know of his delay... In responding to the word from the messengers, we don't know what they know about that, how that may have been communicated or even understood by the people who were there and who probably came back from him. But clearly what they think is that if Jesus had been there sooner, things woulda, coulda been better. Jesus was late. Jesus was too late, and therefore their brother has died. That's the way they see it. And Mary and Martha, and I think we can be utterly and completely sympathetic with them here, see Jesus as constrained by death. If it were recent death, that would be one thing. But four-day entombed death, surely healing sickness is one thing. But you can't reverse four-day death. You can't reverse four-day entombed death. Jesus is constrained by that. Martha and Mary are grateful to see Jesus. But grief and what might have been rule the day for them. Glad to see Jesus. Grief and what might have been are the main things that occupy them. That's their human perspective. But we also have another human perspective in the story embedded in the story as well. And that's from the perspective of the disciples who are with Jesus and and have heard of the plans of the idea of the sickness of Lazarus. So we wanna see it from their perspective as well. And they probably agreed with this idea of Jesus that he needed to actually stay where he was For the sake of safety. So no doubt they heard from the messengers when the messengers came they heard what the situation was. Lazarus our friend is ill but Jesus has made the decision to stay and they think well okay good decision good decision because we were just down in that area right outside of Jerusalem we know it was dangerous we know the Jewish leaders were looking to arrest and they had stones in their hands trying to stone you good call we can't do everything We can't be everywhere, we can't help everyone. We should stay here, even though Lazarus is ill. So when Jesus decides to go, they are confused. They read his delay as appropriate caution, not as what it was. And what it was, was the providential outworking of the perfect plan of God Almighty. That's what it was. That's what the delay was. I am listening to and following my father's perfect sovereign plan. They didn't read it that way. And then, of course, as they get ready to go, the next thing that they're confused about is the word sleep by Jesus. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And, you know, sometimes we get these beautiful little human sections here in scripture where the response is okay you know he'll get better if he's if he's fallen asleep we don't need to go down there because he will in fact improve from having fallen asleep so Jesus clarifies the situation explains it to them and finally they, they go because Jesus has said let us go to be with Lazarus But all they can see is death. When they look at this situation going back to Bethany just outside of Jerusalem they look at it and go that is a dead end if ever there was a dead end. And we mean literally a dead end. We now understand we're going to see a dead man and surely this will result in your death and according to what Thomas says probably our deaths as well. Let's go that we may die with him. That's the end of the line. They are resigned to their fate. We'll go with Jesus and head back down there. Brothers and sisters, hear this portion of it. How incredibly limited is our human ability to see, to perceive, to understand, especially in times of grief, apparent dead ends in our lives, where we look at there there are always what if. It wouldn't have been a dead end if something would have been different. Couldn't Jesus have done something different in our lives? If he's Jesus, if he's all-powerful, if he's good, couldn't he spare the people we love? He spare a child from death? Couldn't he spare a family from a miscarriage? Couldn't he spare his people from severe diseases? Couldn't he spare the life of my sister or a brother or a husband or a wife? Couldn't he spare the life of your mother or your father? If only he would have intervened, we think, we assume, it would have been better. And then, of course, platitudes abound on top of that, right? The platitudes are thrown right in there. That's for the best. Everything happens for a reason. Everything will be okay. We're looking desperately for some silver lining. And even the faithless say things like that. Even the faithless will throw out everything happens for a reason. There must be some purpose to it. But the thoughtful soul churns. The thoughtful soul churns at the simple idea that had Jesus been a few days quicker, had Jesus responded immediately for that matter, had Jesus willed it, the agony of death could have been avoided grandeur of this passage is that we get to see not only how we see, how humans see, but how Jesus sees and how he responds in this situation. What does this reveal to us about the good shepherd? I'm going to parallel the way I did it with the beginning of John 10. What does this show us about the good shepherd? First of all, he knows. Jesus knows. Jesus understands this situation. He doesn't understand this situation just a little bit better than the average person understands the situation. No, he understands this situation that is taking place here as the son of God, as the son of his father. He has his father's vision of this particular circumstance of the anguish of Martha and Mary, of the death of his friend, he sees it from the vantage point of his heavenly father. He sees the purposes and the plans. He sees the wise. He sees when Lazarus has died, when there's no human way he can know at that point that Lazarus has died. Jesus knows He knows the connections. He knows the sequences. He knows that which is hidden to our eyes. He knows the tendons. He knows the ligaments. He knows the connecting tissue between the events of our lives that to us otherwise might be invisible and would be invisible to everybody in the story. Except we're getting a look into how Jesus sees in this particular situation. What may appear to us as ifs and contingencies and unknowns are known to him, perfectly clear to him. True in this particular case, and true in every one of your and our particular cases as well. Jesus knows. Secondly, Jesus loves. He loves. The initial events of this chapter might cause us to question the love of Jesus. But it, it has to hit. Allowing someone to die when could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Allowing someone to die For the sake of a lesson, seems unloving. It seems awfully unloving, at least from the human perspective. At least as we see things, it seems unloving. And so John, our author, makes it abundantly clear. Verse 3, verse 5, friendship repeated throughout the passage, Jesus loves this family you can't doubt that in this passage and what it means is that whatever happens happens within the sphere of his love and not outside it no matter what it looks like to them and no matter what it looks like to you as the children of god what takes place happens within the sphere of his love True for Lazarus, Martha, Mary. True for us as well. In our sorrow, in our loss, in our distress, we are tempted to question the love of the good shepherd. Now, Jesus loved. That is the answer to the churning of your soul. Now, Jesus Martha. Jesus knows. Jesus loves. Jesus, and here we've got to face the reality of this, Jesus delays. Jesus intentionally delays his departure. Perhaps Lazarus would have died anyway. It was going to take some time to get back to where he was. Even if he had departed immediately, perhaps he would have died. But clearly, Deliberately and purposefully, he delays. And besides the delay, he doesn't heal at a distance. Which was fully within his capacity. To heal Lazarus by saying, I hear that Lazarus is sick. Send word back. Your faith has made him well. Go. We'll ask in a moment why Jesus delayed, but let us observe this reality, at least at this point. Jesus did not come into the world to put an immediate end to all suffering and grief and death. When he looks at this world, He doesn't see the way we see. He sees from the perspective of eternity. He sees as the one who is I am. An ever-present reality that is in front of him. And what he sees is that the way of life is the path of the cross. The way of life is the path of the cross. It is through death that's true for Jesus and it's true for those who would follow him and so as many have said once again we have an example in Thomas of someone speaking more than he could possibly have understood at this stage let's go and die with him (laughs) all right let's go and die with him no Thomas yes go and die with him take up your cross daily that's the call for all disciples Go and die with him. Jesus is heading not only to an entombed Lazarus. Jesus, in turning that direction to go back to Jerusalem, is heading to his own entombment. Both are being taken on at the same time as he goes there. His own suffering as well. Jesus delays. He does not remove all pain and suffering. Even Lazarus. Even the risen Lazarus will eventually die. He will eventually go back probably into that same tomb. Back into that same place. Once again, true then and true now. Jesus knows. Jesus loves. Jesus delays. And Jesus speaks. The eternal word. Our prophet gives us an explanation in this particular situation. That blankets all of the history of the world. It covers everything in the world with the oft-hid mysteries of the councils of eternity. And we get to see it in this particular spot. Why Jesus? Why? Why the delay? Why not heal? Because if only if only it had have been there, if only you'd have decided it, if only you would have wanted it. It is right at that point, having asked those questions, when we must join our brother Job, if we would learn, put our hands on our mouth and listen. Listen to what he says. Verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The suffering and the death of Jesus, that then leads to resurrection and life. Lazarus' suffering, your suffering and death that leads to resurrection life, is for the manifestation of the glory of the Father and of his Son. We may not understand it. We will not be able to explain it. We will not be able to give all of the reasons why any one particular thing has taken place. We may not be able to put all the pieces together of what takes place in this sad world but it is for the glory of God Do you believe this Do you believe this? there's more. after verse 11 after saying these things he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him the disciples said to him, Lord if he has fallen asleep he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Why does Jesus use the word sleep? Well, it's not only, although it certainly is, it's not only because this particular illness of Lazarus is not finally and ultimately unto death, but instead because he, Jesus, Is changing the way that we humans see death. The way that we perceive death. It appears to us to be the end and certainly four days entombed is the end. It appears to us that's over, that's it, it's all done. But the one who is the Good Shepherd, the one who gives them, his sheep, everlasting life and they will never perish, and the one who says, and no one snatches them out of my hand, that doesn't happen, says, dear flock, it might just help if you think about death like you think about sleep. soon you'll wake up. Jesus says it might be helpful for you if you think about death like that. Like that. Because I'm changing things. I'm rewriting endings. I'm making this new. And you have to understand, so I'm giving you a new word. I'm giving you a new word to slip into your vocabulary to change the way you naturally tend to think. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? The resurrection of the dead. There's more. Verse 15, the speaking word the prophet says, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Whoa, you're glad you weren't there? weren't there this is your friend this is the one whom you love and you love the sisters who are grieving right now you're glad you weren't there yeah for your sake i'm glad so that you can believe there's good here the good of faith the good of belief for some of us that is a converting that is a life-giving belief death doesn't get the final word the one who says i am the resurrection and the life gets the final word Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and you will never perish. That is a converting faith. That takes you out of death and into life. Go back to John chapter 5. But realize this as well. Jesus isn't speaking here merely to the disciples for the sake of conversion. Those for whom it is good are those who already believe. The disciples already believe. Mary and Martha certainly already believe. Well, what then is the good for them? What is happening here? Well, what Jesus is saying is I'm thankful that I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there so that you, so that your faith will increase. So that your belief grows. Jesus here is speaking of the deepening of faith the purification of faith, the tempering of our faith whereby we are thrust into the fire of the difficulties of this world and pulled out and cooled so that the faith becomes hardened, so that the faith becomes as steel strengthened it is the tempering of the faith that is going on here the deepening of the faith We are cast into grief and loss, and that's all we can see. Jesus is our faithful shepherd, and He does this for our good. He did it for their good, He does it for your good. He, in the words of the hymn, sanctifies to you your deepest distress. It is not without purpose. Though dark, the purpose may be to us. It will sanctify to you that pain. Do you believe this? Jesus knows. Jesus loves. Jesus delays. Jesus speaks. Jesus goes. Verse 15, but let us go to him. Let us go. He doesn't avoid Jerusalem He goes. According to his timing, according to his father's purposes, he goes. And though they object, you shouldn't go to this place, this is not a good idea, this is not the right time to head back in that direction, just the way he responded with respect to the blind man, you work when it's daytime. You travel when it's daytime. You go when it is daytime. And my brothers, It's time for us to go. It's time for us to head towards the pain. To go towards the one who is hurting, the one who is grieving, towards death, towards this particular family, and for Jesus, towards his own torment. The call then was for the disciples' to go with him. Let's go. We've got work to do. We've got a mission to fulfill and it is the call to the church as well. Let us be a people who move towards those who are in pain. Not to be a people who turn away, who shy away, but a people who move towards those who are hurting because we carry with us the one who is life. The resurrection life of Jesus travels with us as we approach those who are in pain. We don't see as Jesus sees. For us, there seem to be in this world incalculable, what-ifs, if-onlys, incalculable contingencies. But to the one who is the I am, what he sees, whatever we face in this world, is he sees that glory and good are planned for you. Glory and good are planned. Resurrection is planned. So, Joseph is in a pit waiting to be sold into slavery according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Lazarus is in a tomb according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Jesus is crucified, verse on the front of your bulletin, according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. You got those three points? You got them? Joseph, Lazarus, Jesus, and now you. You, you, are facing the circumstances, the loss, the grief, the death, the pain, in your life according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. For his glory and for your good. That's not a slogan. That's the word of God. Let us go that we may die and live with him. Father, thank you. Thank you for this precious word that is given to us. Help us, help us in the darkness when we are in the darkness, to trust in you. When the people we love are in the darkness, help us to trust in you. And when we have the opportunity to minister, to care for those who are in the darkness, Are confronting death. Help us to go in you and with you, for you are the resurrection and the life everlasting. Amen.